Hello, everyone. Welcome to American Thoracic Society's Breathe Easy podcast. The date of recording of this podcast is Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. My name is Malike Boskanat. I am a pediatric pulmonology fellow at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center here in beautiful Dallas, Texas. I am also a member of American Thoracic Society Pediatric Web Committee. We are going through unprecedented times due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic has disrupted almost every aspect of our lives, including the education of trainees. Today, we're going to talk about the challenges of fellowship education during COVID-19 pandemic. I'm honored to be joined by two very successful physicians, Dr. Roberto Cato and Dr. Tanya Martinez-Fernandez. Dr. Cato is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. She's also the Program Director of Pediatric Pediatric Pulmonology Fellowship at CHLA. Welcome, Dr. Cato. Hello. I'm also joined by my own program director, Dr. Tanya Martinez-Fernandez. She's an associate professor at UT Southwestern. Welcome, Dr. Martinez. Hi, Millie Ken, Roberta. It's a pleasure to be here with both of you today. So our main goal today when preparing this podcast was to brainstorm ideas and discuss how we can turn these challenges into opportunities. We are hoping that this podcast will help guide current fellows and also the residents who are applying for fellowships and have questions. Dr. Cato, here in Dallas, we're seeing a significant increase in COVID-19 cases. I know California was severely affected by the pandemic early on. Can you please tell us about the current situation in Los Angeles? Well, right now we still have many cases that are reported um, every day. Our average right now is about 8.5% in terms of uh, positive tests for the LA County area. Um, The total number of cases so far has been about 159,000 with over 3,000 like new cases in this past uh, approximately one-week period. So we had a rapid increase just recently, and this is in a community of uh, 10 million people. So even though the numbers are rising, the numbers overall are at least manageable for our current system. Um, I know we are having a lot of trouble just as the rest of the nation has in terms of having people consistently masking. And I know even myself who takes uh, public transport, we wind up having at least a few people in every train that aren't wearing masks. Oh, wow. I see. Well, thank you for the information. Um, Now, I just want to switch gears and talk about the pulmonology fellowship. Dr. Martinez, can you tell us about the clinical experience, um, how the clinical experience has been affected by COVID-19 at your institution? So, when I think about the clinical experience and the fellows, um, as well as other trainees within our institution, I now kind of think more of an earlier experience part of the pandemic and what our current situation is. Um, There there were a lot of unknowns initially, and so there were a lot of concerns about exposure of trainees and the safety of the trainees. And so we um, focused on preventing a lot of unnecessary exposures, even though our numbers were not necessarily um, elevated at the time. That has changed over time, and so now we are um, kind of in one of the hotspots for um, the nation. Um, so the uncertainty of not just knowing what the virus was going to bring to our area, but also whether our fellows or trainees in pediatrics were going to need to support um, adult hospitals led to minimizing um, PPE 
use in our um, in our center, um, and our volumes really decreased quite a bit, um, leading to decreased exposure of trainees to clinical cases. Cases we weren't really doing a lot of bronchoscopies at all. Um, only those that were emergent and urgent, and only um, faculty were allowed to participate in those. Our pulmonary function lab did close during that period of time, and a lot of support staff was working um, from home. So our biggest challenge was to work in um, multiple places where people were not connected, and um, which has also, I think, been our biggest opportunity. So it, we changed our ambulatory um, operations in less than about a week um, to mostly doing all telehealth. Um, and so there's been an explosion of the use of telemedicine during this period of time, not just from an outpatient standpoint, but also from an inpatient standpoint, we've learned how the process works. And so we got a lot of faculty on board very quickly into using telemedicine. It was um, a platform we didn't really have a lot of experience with or use, um, and we had a little training as faculty, and now we had to be teachers to um, all of you um, in the fellowship program as well as to residents. And so we had to learn very quickly how to not just use it but teach it, um, and I think that has been um, a, a challenge, but I think a, a good challenge um, for us. Um, it has been, I think, a really good opportunity to learn to be flexible and resilient um, during these times. And so um, with this telehealth explosion, we learned not only to establish a new clinical flow, so um, we also learned how to communicate with our staff in different ways. Um, we learned a lot of technical aspects and roadblocks that come with um, telemedicine, including connectivity and how to bring a third party into um, the calls when we're um, trying to teach residents and fellows. We learned about um, new relationships with patients, and that's a new relationship that you have now with your patients. Before, you know, our patients used to um, be invited into our space, and now we've been invited into their space. And so that, um, that process is a different one for trainees to learn how to um, build that rapport with, with their patients. Um, and, and, you know, these patients are um, exposing their vulnerability to us and, 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 and we need to, um, um, you know, uh, be cognizant of that. Um, and um, from the inpatient side, and now we have uh, in some patients that we're using telemedicine for within our system, um, using our nurses for uh, physical exams and, um, and the patients themselves helping, helping us with that. Um, so I expect that these um, areas will continue um, to grow and we'll continue to apply what we've learned um, through the next uh, months and years. Um, and so I, I expect that long term that that will continue again to be to be an opportunity for all. Now we're um, in the midst of uh, a, an increased uh, number of cases here in Dallas, um, but now we're opening up and learning what how to do procedures um, within this new normal. 
um, you know, what the use of our PPE is and being judicious with that. Um, we've made changes in the PFT lab um, as well in the bronchoscopy suites. Um, and hopefully that will um, lead to uh, new innovations in teaching as well as um, patient care. And I think um, Dr. Cotto may have a lot more to add now that she's been in the midst of it for quite a quite a long time and seen a couple of uh, peaks now in in her area. Yes, I there was something that you just said that's really the special part about what we've been doing. When you mentioned that the families have let us in because of these opportunities for telehealth, I think that has been probably um, the silver lining of this experience is to see families in their home environment. It's been really a special opportunity to see other family members that we don't always see. I also feel, um, and this is just from the family telling us, that it's such a much more relaxing experience the added level of trying to commute in Los Angeles really makes for a fairly stressful visit, um, especially with someone with uh, complex medical needs. So I think the fellows um, have seen that they've seen a different side of their patients and the families and have really enjoyed that. I think it's also been a special opportunity because this is one of those rare moments where we're learning together. Fellows and attendings, no one knows um, how to do telehealth, so we learn together and they are helping us just as much as we're helping them at this at this time. Um, and I think one of the other things that's been really unique is, um, and this may be at other institutions a little bit different, but our institution, the fellowship was really driven by um, being here in contact um, with your fellow um, fellows. You know, the number is um, about five to six fellows that we have at one time, and that's a pretty good number for a pulmonary fellowship. And I think that's been one of the challenges is that um, when we used to have always someone that someone could go to that was a colleague on a fellow level, um, we've had to really actively seek out ways that the fellows will stay in contact with each other when they're telecommuting. Because the seniors who have the most experience are also the ones that are able to stay at home because their research can be done remotely, um, but they've also been the greatest asset. So there's been a little bit of, you know, especially with our new fellows starting in the last uh, week, we had the seniors um, coming in more, and then we also set up schedules so that they could be available by phone to really provide the support that would have happened more naturally by just walking in the hallways. And so um, that's been a, a little challenge for us. We were actually fairly um, lucky because um, one of the things that our institution was able to do was um, be able to do the SARS-CoV testing um, fairly rapidly. We actually became a site for um, Los Angeles County to have other hospitals send the samples because we were able to um, get the testing up and running. And so we were able to keep our uh, PFT lab open, which at least provided some opportunity for us to still see patients in person. Um, and they actually had the COVID testing, so we felt, you know, a little extra layer of safety that they had the testing that was negative. Um, so our fellows initially, I would say maybe in the first two to four weeks, um, weren't able to see patients at all because we really just kind of closed down the clinic unless it was very urgent. Um, and then with telehealth and then being able to do the testing before they came in, we've been about at... I would say even 75% of our patients who would normally come in are still coming in at this point. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Dr. Kato, for sharing your experience. 
Um, as most of you know, pediatric fellowships are generally three years, and a major component of the pediatric fellowships is actually research. Dr. Martinez, can you please tell us about what has changed in the research experience of your fellows? So again, um, initially with the shutdown and, um, in the hospital and in our clinical setting, um, there was a shutdown also in the research labs. And so those fellows that were doing um, basic research um, were really limited in what they could um, do um, due to the closures. Um, over time now, they've opened some um, and, um, and they've been able to go back. Um, in some labs, not completely or fully um, open, um, but they're able to now get more data. Clinical research was also very limited um, because of closures. Um, but again, this uh, opened up some other opportunities, including you know writing a chapter um, and um, doing some reviews. Um, working on manuscripts, and the university tried to um, formulate uh, webinars um, regarding research that were useful for um, fellows as well as incoming um, fellows um, on grant writing as well as basic uh, research topics, um, and also even, you know, cultural competency, which may not be research specific research related, but also use that opportunity to um, reach out to the general medical uh, community uh, to to um, reinforce um, some topics that, that were of importance um, during the pandemic, the early parts of the pandemic. Um, I, I'd like to know what um, LA has been doing as far as their research capabilities and what they were able to maintain. Uh, we were in a similar situation where pretty much all research was stopped at a certain point when we um, had the stay-at-home order. What wound up happening was we're, I guess, now almost three months in, and we're finally opening up to other clinical studies with a lot of extensive evaluation by our research uh, community. And it is, it's still very tricky. We do have patients who are still coming to the clinic for um, routine visits, and if those routine visits lined are were in line with the actual research study um, data points, then we could still um, get approval to continue that research. Um, the other thing that was really nice from a research standpoint was we switched over from doing in-person consent to as much as possible all over the phone, and that actually has been really wonderful because if um, if we can, that means that we can do this ahead of time, makes exposure in the clinic um, and at the hospital like more limited. And then just to protect other staff, now if we have any consents that are being done, um, we actually don't have the fellows do the consents. The attendings um, who are supervising will do those in-person consents if they're required. I think the big boost that you were also mentioning was we had uh, maybe a few papers that were lingering in terms of, you know, hadn't been completed, hadn't been submitted. And really with that uh, stay-at-home order, we wound up getting a few papers in in that month. And so I think it was really useful for people to be able to focus on um, that work when they were telecommuting. So I think it's going to be something we're going to continue to do in the future to really help the fellows get protected time. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing this. Um, Dr. Kato, can you also tell us about the educational curriculum at LA? How have you adapted to, to the online lectures and what platforms do you like to use? 
Well, we are, I think we're doing pretty well. We're using Zoom for all of our online conferences. We had a pretty, um, I wouldn't call it busy, but we had a lot of presentations. So we wound up doing usually one noon session every single day. And with all of the different webinars that are being produced, I think there's sometimes just so many, like even two to three uh, webinars happening within even sometimes a single day that we can't even get into our own planned um, types of presentations. The fellow um, track symposium sessions have been looking amazing too. So I'm excited to be able to participate in the fellow track talks that we, we weren't able Able to watch. So I think that this has really expanded our ability to collaborate and see other um, fellows. We've actually uh, been able to be, uh, well, we've set up a problem-based learning because uh, UC San Diego reached out to us. And I think we've just all become so familiar with the online type of format that we're going to be able to collaborate at a much higher level. Oh, and, and Dr. Martinez, so any, um, what would you say about the same topic? So I think, um, as, as, as you pointed out, Roberta, there, there, there have been a lot of positives out of this, including more collaboration because we all use a lot of the same platforms. And so it's easy to have people, um, join in. Um, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to have so many webinars at some point. It's like, well, we have to go back to clinical work also. Um, but it, it does, um, have definite challenges. Um, as, as great as it is to be on Zoom calls and do webinars, it can lead to a little bit of a loss of, of, of focus um, and direction. And so sometimes you just have to find innovative um, and different ways to kind of bring bring things back to being interesting. Um, I know that Malika and our program has used Kahoot a lot to try to keep us um in, in a more fun situation and just get our, our brains to, to continue to, to be you know, used and um and um um in 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 different ways. Um it also um just the education experience has also been affected by having, you know, just our fellows and our trainees to think about childcare and, and daycare. That that is definitely a stress. Um in Texas, daycares have been hotspots for um, virus transmission, and so that that has um, been stressful for both faculty and fellows of what to do with their own children. Um, and now there are a lot of questions about school openings and you know what to do about um, your kids, and so that that again creates um, some some anxiety. And also, you know. We've tried to be candid about, you know, exposures and not having fear of being quarantined or losing training time and um, if potentially you've been exposed to a case. And so being open about those conversations and talking about any alternatives we can find in training and being flexible about that training, I think, um, is important um, for, for, our, um, for our trainees. Um, of course, you know, collaboration with other centers has been um, fun for, for the fellows. Um, they had, um, for an example, a physiology review with the University of Miami um, and one of our faculty members. And so um, that has opened opportunity. Um, we've talked about using different apps, including, you know, gaming apps um, like uh, uh, 
those um, developed by Level X. So the Palm X and Airway X, if those of you have um, taken a look, that um, has brought kind of a different way to um, to um, educate um, our our trainees. Um, and then also using um, the time, you know, during the pandemic, the the nation as a whole really uh, had to think um, more more closely about diversity and inclusion, which has been a topic in, in the medical field that has been, um, you know, um, underlined and underscored in recent years. But um, with the um, with with um, with it being more at a national uh, spotlight than uh, the university and ourselves, we've um, taken that opportunity to expand um, our diversity and inclusion uh, programs. Um, so, for example, here at UT, um, we have a HEAL program, which um, is um, a program of different uh, subgroups that are underrepresented in, in medicine. And so before they used to um, meet more in person, um, and now they've been able to go virtual and expand um, and broaden into um, the general medical community here here in Dallas. Um, looking at, uh, you know, the wellness of our fellows as well as other trainees has been important. And so um, having mental health services that are free of charge um, for them is important as well as support groups have uh, blossomed throughout um, the university, not just for trainees, but also for their spouses and couples and um, in understanding that this is a stressful time for the families of our um, fellows and, and residents as well as the medical students. Um, so we've, we've tried to, I think, uh, look at education in different ways and, and trying to be, um, you know, more encompassing and broad reaching, which I think has been really great. Well, thanks for sharing this, Dr. Martinez. It's great to hear the educational opportunities at both of the programs and not just education, but also how much you care about your fellows and the wellness, um, your emphasis on wellness. Um, I would like to add, I know Dr. Kato mentioned, but I also would like to um, add um, on to the um, topic of um, American Thoracic Society's um, Fellows Track Symposium. It's this year, it's all online and it's open to all fellows. Um, actually, some of the videos are recorded and they're now on YouTube. It's been a fantastic educational opportunity to, to listen to these lectures from various topics from world-class experts. So um, I would like to conclude by just saying that I really, really appreciate your time um, and, you know, for joining me in this podcast. And I would like to thank um, to all of our listeners today. Please stay safe.